Well, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Today, I uh, may end up sounding a lot worse than I feel. I almost lost my voice the first hour. I've come down with something. I don't know what it is, probably what everyone else is. So I may have to talk a little bit softer to preserve it for this and the next hour. And um, uh, Julie brewed me a concoction of hot lemon juice, and who knows what else is in there, so I'll be sipping of that (laughs) to keep it going. Luke chapter 11, we'll start in verse 38. Well, here we are on the last Sunday, believe it or not, of 2019. Here we are at the gate of the year. And today I'd like to uh, ask you to consider making a resolution. Now, I know, I know something that New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. And maybe they are sometimes, but not always. And this one won't be, I assure you, like the one one of my friends made. Uh, She sent me this recently. It's called Exercise for People Over 60. This was her resolution. I just had to share this with you, and I I think it fits. Um, You'll have to listen carefully. Exercise for People Over 60. Begin by standing on a comfortable surface where you have plenty of room on each side. Then, with a five-pound potato bag in each hand, extend your arms straight out from your sides and hold them there as long as you can. Try to reach a full minute and then relax. Each day you'll find you can hold this position for a little bit longer. After a couple of weeks, move up to 10-pound potato bags and then try 50-pound potato bags, and eventually try to get to where you can lift a 100-pound potato bag in each hand, holding your arms straight for more than a full minute. And then she says, I'm at this level. And then she concludes with this. After you feel feel confident at that level, put a potato in each bag. (laughs) That... Some of, you, some of you like that probably too much. <clears throat> That's kind of what I feel like today. But it, this will not be that kind of stupid resolution. But it has to do with really not your physical condition, which is important obviously, but your spiritual condition and with what it takes to stay in condition. What it takes to stay strong. And that is you just need to stay with him. It's as simple as the old song, one that I love, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I am weak, I am tired, I am worn. Lead me on through the, di- through the night, lead me home. Oh, we need him. Help me stand. It's what more than anything else the transition team is going to need to do next year. And by the way, you'll be getting an email this week with an update on the nomination process and where we are in that process. But they're going to need to take his hand. It's what the congregation will need to do this year as you all give them input. It's what we all need to do for us to lead, for him to lead us to the right pastor. Because, of course, you'll have a key role uh, in that whether corporately or individually, not just now, but all through life. It's what more than anything else we all need. And I think I have that on good authority. And just what is that? Well, it's again, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now they were traveling along. He entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. 
But Martha was distracted by all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. That's quite a statement. Only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Question. What's the one thing for you? What's the one thing in your life? What's the one thing that most matters? Martha was worried and bothered about by so much that seemed so important, yet it ended up being just a lot of activity, more like hyperactivity, without any eternal priorities. Martha was almost ADD and a bunch of other three-letter things you could say. Mary, moreover, though, was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. At the still point of her turning world, Mary was centered on Christ. And it all flowed out of that. You know, Roberta Heston is is a godly woman who's impacted me deeply over the years. Um, She devoted a good part of her life to what she called spiritual formation as she called it. The one, the one thing, really, that's most necessary. And in one way or another, I owe a good part of this message to her and even more deeply to my mother because she taught me this too. A number of years ago, Roberta moved from the... She has a story about when she moved from the Pacific Northwest where there were many trees to Orange County, California, where there were few. And so when her family made the move, she said she, her main prayer was this, Lord, give us a place with trees. She just loved the trees of the Pacific Northwest. And as it turned out, they ended up with a piece of property in Orange County that had 88 of them. But as fate would have it, there were four years of drought, which is not unusual for that area, uh, after they moved in. And when the rains finally came, a strange thing happened. Two of the trees had completely collapsed. And one of them, the one that fell across the driveway, was 80 feet tall. It was so big that it took a truck with a winch and four men to pull it off the driveway. And she wondered, how could such a thing have happened? She was so curious and so concerned for the other remaining trees that she called the landscape architect who was also an arborist, a tree specialist. And after surveying all the devastation, he said, those trees do look beautiful on the top, don't they? But look at the one that's fallen. Notice the root structures. And when she did, for the first time, she saw what was obvious. Now that the tree was down, it was clear that when it was standing, the roots ran horizontally parallel to the ground just beneath the surface rather than plunging vertically down. And here's what the man said. He said, during the drought, all the roots came up to the surface because they weren't being fed down deep. What about you? Are you being fed down deep each and every day? Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things. Only a few things are necessary, really only one, for survival in this life, not to mention thriving. 
Those trees looked so beautiful on the outside, but all the while they were dying of malnutrition, but you couldn't tell it by looking. You know, we have a tendency in our lives to give an enormous amount of energy to the outside, to our outer lives, to our vocations, to our ambitions, to our ministries, to our families, to our recreation, to our televisions, to our smartphones, all those, to all those little hobbies and activities that all together can become such big priorities when really they're nothing. We live in a day of distraction thanks to the internet, not of concentration and going down deep. It has shallowed out our culture. We can devote so much time and energy to externals, to the virtual, to what we're accomplishing, to how we're appearing, to what they're thinking. We do not content ourselves, said Pascal. We do not content ourselves with the life we have in ourselves and in our own being before God. We desire rather to live an imaginary life in the mind of others. And for this purpose we endeavor to shine. We labor unceasingly to adorn and preserve this imaginary existence which will be over like that. And we neglect the real. Martha neglected the real in that she was fixing on things that are seen, as it says in Hebrews, rather than on the things that are unseen. She was fixing on the temporal, on this blink of a life, rather than on the eternal, so much so that she neglected reality itself, life itself, a real relationship with the Lord of life at the still point of her turning world. And therefore things were spinning out of control. What was her problem? Roman numeral one in your notes. Well, there were three things that were keeping her from this one thing. Three symptoms of shallow roots. Maybe you are a Martha right now. Maybe you were a Martha. Maybe you're guilty that you're not a Martha, that you can't do as much as before. In which case, this will encourage you and maybe direct you to go deeper now that you're weaker. This is for everyone. The first thing that was keeping her from the one thing is that she was running, fill in the blanks, tired. Running tired. Can you relate? Or maybe you could in your uh, past life. Maybe not all of you can, but some of you I'm sure can. This can happen when you almost start to measure your success by how stressed you are, as Martha seemed to be doing. Success means always doing, always talking, always performing, always accomplishing, always taking another step up the ladder, always experiencing, but never sitting, never listening. Unless you're experiencing numbing fatigue, you must not be working hard enough. Unless you're experiencing some adrenaline rush or some dopamine fix through the screen in front of you, through a computer game or whatever, you're not living well enough. For some activity becomes an anesthetic that dulls the pain of an empty life or some past pain or some future fear. Others are running tired because they're running low on faith. They don't have the faith to give God his time. There are too many guests to serve. There's just too much to do. And because you never give them the tithe of your time, there's never enough time. Just like happens when you don't give them the tithe of your money, there's never enough money. 
One man said, we impoverish life at the center for the sake of its ever-widening circumference. Ambitious young people are like that too often. And you become like a rubber band at the end of its stretch. You know how when you pull a rubber band far enough, it loses all, what's it called, all of its tensile strength or whatever. And then if you pull it any further, what happens? It, yeah, it snaps. And then, <clears throat> who knows what. We need to live life in the flex. But many of us, instead of living in the flex, are living on the edge all the time. Or maybe your kids or grandkids or whatever. And that is great when you're, you know, knee deep in powder skiing down a black diamond slope like up in Summit County where we're from. But it's not great when that's your whole life. If you're living in the stretched out, stressed out, you know, limit of your capabilities with very little room for anything else to come in. And you can be sure, given what life serves up, something else will come in. It's not great if you're feeling like the old comedian Flip Wilson. Remember him? He said, if I had my entire life to live over, I doubt if I'd have the strength. (laughs) And then, you know, you get upset at the spouse or the kids or your friends or your coworkers who aren't doing as much as you, who haven't bought into the madness. And you say, do you not care? You've left me to do all the serving. Typical complaint of a Martha. She gets righteously indignant at everyone who's not doing as much as she is until she says, Lord, do you not care? Look look what's happening to me. Why did she say this? Why such a fleshly reaction? Well, think about it. She was giving God himself the what for. (laughs) Maybe some of you have done this too. Why? Well, there were three things that were keeping her from this one thing. First, she was running tired because second, point B, she was running, fill in the blank, busy. Here, the Lord of the universe was in the very next room at the still point of Mary's turning world and her own sister, Mary, was there on her knees as an example for her. Did he care about her? It's called the no-brainer question. Of course he did. The real problem was that she didn't care enough about him. Because she was worshiping the wrong God, bowing down to the idol of busyness. What about you, running busy? It's not that a full schedule is wrong. Paul says that we're to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He said, I I labored even more than all of them. That was one of my father's favorite verses and has become one of mine. Paul said that we're not to be lagging behind in diligence, Romans 12, 11, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He said, whatever you do, do your work heartily, whatever your vocation, as unto him, Colossians three twenty three. But there's another side to this truth. Without some quiet devotion, it will only end up being so much commotion. Running the rat race like Martha was. And like Lily Tomlin said, the problem with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. (laughs) You end up seeing your ladder was leaning against the wrong building. And what was all that for? And what's the difference between the two kinds of races? Well, the difference between the race God's given us and this rat race is that In the world's way of running, 
Though there's a whole lot of motion, there's not much direction. You never really get anywhere in the overall scheme of things. Because in man's race, you're like this gerbil on a a wheel, right? You're a rat in a maze going for a couple pellets at the end that are going to leave you empty. But in God's race, you're a runner in a marathon, steadily drawing on inner reserves at the still point of your turning world, midstream of his will, as through it all you go for the gold. Martha was going nowhere fast because there were three things that were keeping her from this one thing. First, she was running tired because second, she was running busy. Therefore, third, point C in your notes, she was running filled but unfulfilled. Filled but unfulfilled, she was running on empty. Which, of course, is a prescription for getting rather fleshly and angry. This is the emptiness of a life that has no time for the life giver. And those who practice such neglect end up being filled but unfulfilled. As someone said, beware the barrenness of the busy life. It's so easy, isn't it, to fill our lives and our children's lives. Especially these days, kids are stressed out, stretched out like never before. And it's not doing them good, ultimately. Too often, anyway. It's so easy to fill our lives and our children's lives with people and things and extracurricular activities and sports and entertainment and even ministry. Pastors do this especially. And what can happen as your outer life gets more and more full and the inner life becomes more and more barren is that in time there can be a collapse. It comes in many forms. Backsliding, divorce, midlife crisis, depression, adultery, Ministerial burnout. All because it's so easy to become filled but unfulfilled, running on empty. So if that's the problem, what's the solution? Well, again, the solution has to do with centering your life on Christ like Mary did. And you can do that in two ways. Uh, By becoming more rooted in the body of Christ and more reflective at the feet of Christ. That is, it has to do with solitude and community. It says in the Phillips translation that Mary was settled down at the Lord's feet. She was rooted, she was firmly planted, along with the many others who were likely with her in, their, in the room that day. In sharp contrast to Martha, who was all alone out there, uh, restlessly on her own, desperately alone. For whatever reason, she just couldn't center herself. She couldn't settle down. It's the centering of our lives that we're talking about here. And it happens first in community where we're really committed to one another and through each other where we're committed to him. Because where two or three are gathered, where is he? He is there. That's how we find him, where we can become rooted rather than restless, like you do in your home fellowship groups, in Bible study groups, in women in the word, in Sunday schools, and every Sunday morning when we gather together and you hear Christ's word preached, and it deepens your roots. In so many ways it happens in the church community, but it also happens, point B, in solitude. 
which is the emphasis of this passage. So that will be my emphasis too. It happens in solitude where we can become, and you can fill in the blanks again, reflective rather than reactive, rooted rather than restless, centered rather than scattered at the feet of Jesus. How do you get there? How do you carve out time for this? How do you make it happen? Well, one of the secrets of becoming more like Mary is what not to do. It's to stop just reacting to life. It says in verse 40 that, that Martha was, the literal translation is, distracted. Literally, that means to be pulled or dragged away. She was jerked around by all these outer things. Ever feel that way? The verb is in the middle voice in the Greek, which means that she was being acted upon as a passive agent, going with the flow, reactive rather than reflective. A reactive stance is really one in which the world sets the agenda for my life. You get up in the morning and just react to whatever comes your way, however unimportant it may be. My ministry, the tasks I have to do, my job, the kids, the expectations of others, my recreational passions, whatever, all these and many more are what really drive me. And you end up, you end up driven rather than called. Driven rather than called. Reactive rather than reflective. But the fact is there will, there will always be more to do than there will be time to do it. There will always be more demands than we can possibly meet. So who's going to be in control? That's the question. You or your world? That'll depend on whether you're asking the right question. Most people get up in the morning and ask the wrong question. And that is this. Something like this. How can I possibly get all these things done? I ask that all the time. Few people, though, are asking the right question. And that is this. Listen, what good things am I going to have to sacrifice today for the sake of the best? What good things am I going to have to sacrifice today for the sake of the best? That's one of the hardest parts of being in ministry for me because I have to sacrifice a lot for the sake of the best. And that gets people upset sometimes. If you're anything like me, when you were younger, you probably thought you could get it all done. Or you should be able to. So often we think, if only I were better organized, I could manage all of this. If only I could work you know, smarter or harder or whatever the current jargon is. But the day comes when you realize, and many of you now are here there, that no matter how smart or fast or organized you are, you're never going to get it all done. No matter how high you climb, there will always be someone who's climbed higher than you and will outshine you. No matter how many needs you meet, there will always be more needs than you can possibly meet. And so that can only mean one thing, and that is this. That as Roberta Heston has said, the need is not the call. It almost goes without saying. If you read the Gospels, Christ himself didn't heal every leper in Palestine. And he was God. He was God incarnate and yet it says in Luke 5.16, he would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Often. He spent the whole night in prayer before selecting his apostles. 
It's all over the place. Because he knew, as J. Oswald Sanders said, that the, the source of ministerial effectiveness lies at the door of the secret place. And to slip away often, he had to leave a whole lot undone. Yet still, he was able to say at the end of his days, John 17, 4, I glorified you on the work, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. Not that the disciples have given me to do. Not that the crowds gave me to do. I forsook them. But that you have given me to do. He accomplished all his work precisely because he had left so much undone. To slip away and pray. He was centered in the Father. You can just see it all through the Gospels. And so he could tell the difference between the tyranny, the tyranny of the urgent and the divine opportunity. And there's a huge difference between those. He could separate the call from the clamor. He could hear the still small voice among all the noise, all the voices vying for his attention. Because he took time to listen. And we need to do this too. We desperately need to be reflective at the feet of the life giver who alone can fill us up. Rather than reactive at the mercy of a world that will ream you out and empty you. So the question is this. Do you have faith enough to give God the tithe of your time? To reflect rather than react. To be rooted rather than restless. To be centered rather than scattered. Most of you know what you need to do, how best you connect with God individually through your daily devotions, all through the day, as you listen to worship music, through Bible study, through fellowship with brothers and sisters, where Christ is, and in other ways some people are going through our 40 days of devotionals again. Because that brought a, a new way of connecting with God for you. I'd recommend my mother's 31 Days of Praise or her book, The Satisfied Heart. There's no lack of resources out there. Uh, and if you'd like some ideas, I'd love to sit down and talk. Please just give me a call. It all comes for the sake of being centered, not scattered. Centered in him. You know, Sometimes people will talk about the Christian faith as if it were just, you know, one room in the house, one piece of your puzzle. I have my job, I have my social relationships, I have my recreational activities, I have my career, my ambitions, I have my family, and then I have my church, my religion. But Christianity is not just supposed to be our religion. It's not... Just one spoke at the wheel. No, as we say, it's a relationship. It, it, Jesus Christ is supposed to be the hub of the wheel. Or it's just a religion. He's supposed to be at the center of our work, of our relationships, of our activities, of our very, very thoughts, of our whole life. Everything is to flow out of our abiding relationship with Christ because he alone can hold it all together and somehow keep it all moving in a meaningful direction or we're just gerbils in wheels. And if he's not the still point of your turning world, the pieces will soon spin out of control. And maybe that's already happened with you. But if he is at the center, if you abide in him, 
Unlike those trees that weren't being fed down deep, you'll be deeply rooted. Like the tree firmly planted by streams of water, Psalm 1-3, yielding its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever it does, it prospers, because his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And you look at David's meditations, and it's all about a relationship centered in him. You know, it's kind of like the visitor to the Austrian Alps who is making his first climb. My sister and I took a tour, bicycle and camping tour through Europe 40 years ago. And we did the Austrian Alps and we heard this story then. And um, I'm telling you, the winds can really blow up there, just like in life. Well, this visitor had never been there and two seasoned guides went with them because it was a steep and a pretty hazardous ascent. And they climbed for hours until they finally reached the summit. And when at last they reached the summit, the young man leapt to his feet to take in the view, but he forgot about the gale force winds that were there that day. And so he was almost blown off his feet and over the cliff. In fact, he would have fallen off the cliff had the guide not caught him and pulled him down. And here's what he said. He said, on your knees, sir, on your knees. You are never safe up here except on your knees. And the same is true of life. When the winds and waves, God knows, blow and crash against us. And who knows when it's going to happen. And these days, like never before, they're blowing against the church. So with all of us, we will not succeed if we're running busy, running tired, running filled but unfulfilled, running on fumes. You will never be safe unless you stay on your knees, sir, madam, on your knees. At his feet, in his word, in solitude and community. Unless we become reflective, not reactive. Rooted, not restless. And under it all, centered, not scattered. In, in, in the eye of the storm. At, at the still point of the turning world with the one who created it all. So, here we are at the gate of the year. God has brought us so far as a congregation, but we still so desperately need him as we enter a process that will end with the calling of our next pastor. God has likely brought you far in your personal life, but if you're anything like me, you still desperately need his help on a daily, maybe even a momentary basis. I'm reminded of what King Edward of England said at the beginning of 1943, and with this I'll close. It was a troubled time in world history. It was during World War II in his annual New Year's Day radio broadcast, which he ended with this. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. Put your hand every day into the hand of God and this shall be better to you than light and safer than a known way. That's my prayer for me this year and for all of you too. 
I, I think it's worthy of a resolution. <laughs> Simply that we put our hand into his hand every day at each step of the way that we take time to pray as the simple song goes, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I am weak. I am tired. I am worn. Lead me on to the light. Take my hand. Precious Lord, through the storm, through the night, lead me home. Father, I do want to thank you that uh, Christ was born in a manger so he could be born in our hearts so we could center our lives in him. Father, I pray all of us would make the words of this hymn our own prayer to you as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.